for me that is the core of my understanding of art is that it is it is healing it is it has the ability to to heal people whether they're engaging with it as like a practice or whether they they're engaging with it as a consumer Hello listeners, this is your host Miriam and you are welcome to Journeys with Podcast. Welcome back. If it is your first time, welcome. I hope you stay. If it isn't your first time, thanks for coming back. Journeys with Podcast is a podcast about people and their journeys through life. I believe everyone has a story. We're all on a journey and no one's story is the same and that's what makes us unique. Follow Journeys with Podcast on Instagram at Journeys with Podcast. And you know what? Also, don't forget to share this episode if you enjoy it, you know. So how can I introduce my guest today? You know when you can't find the perfect words to describe somebody? And you know when you don't even want to describe somebody in one word? That's who my guest is. So she's a painter of beautiful landscape. She's a romantic. Um, you know what? I'm trying to figure out whether I'm more romantic than she is or if she's more romantic than... I think we're, we're competing in that area. We're, we're both romantics, okay? She's a writer, a poet, a coach, a daughter, someone's sister, a lover of God. I mean, many things. Her name is Oriana Jemiday. Hi, Oriana. Hey, everyone. Hi, Mary. You were just pilot during the intro. Like, how did you find it? I don't, I'm always very weird when people introduce me because I do so many things. So I'm just like, you know what? Let whoever is doing the introduction do the introduction. <laughs> how they want to do the introduction but thank you so much yeah. for like you know choosing to be on my podcast I'm so excited so the reason why I wanted to have you is because I kind of wanted to bridge the gap between you know between those who are in like you know because what you do is so niche in terms of like painting and you know you're a poet and stuff and sometimes tell me if you agree people who are in this kind of creative field, especially the niche ones, yeah, are kind of mm-hmm. in a pedestal, and not even a pedestal, but they're kind of seen differently in terms of we don't see them as humans because what you do is so niche, I can't try and do that, that, you know, we kind of forget about the human aspect and that the person behind yeah. the painting is just a person who chose to follow her dream. So I just wanted yeah. to bridge that gap. You, you're very correct. It's, you're, it's interesting that you say that because very recently so I I journal a lot um because just I I think about a million things at a time in a day so I have to always write my thoughts down to just kind of unpack and get it out of my head um and recently I was actually journaling about this what you're describing but from a personal perspective so I feel like this year um, I've stepped into a kind of level of visibility 
regarding my craft that has been different from years before now. So I feel like I've always, or people have always said to me, oh, you know, you have, you have leadership qualities, you know, you were made to kind of be seen. And that has always kind of made me fearful. But I think this year I've seen, or things have started to happen where that is happening a bit more, especially regarding my craft. So in the past, if I have been seen, it's to do with other things, but now people are are seeing me and seeing what I do. Like I had my mm-hmm. first viral tweets from my art this year um, with over 12K retweets of, yeah. of my artwork. And so there's like a level of visibility that I'm coming to. And it's made me a bit like nervous because I'm not, I don't consider myself someone who likes to be hyper visible. So like I always say to my friends that I'd rather be rich than be famous. I don't want people to know me. I just want the money in my bank account. So I've always been very like fearful about it. Um, In terms of being seen and having your faith. Yes. And so it, there is a lot of thinking that I've been doing about like how I want to carry myself mm. in that and how I want to maintain um, my authenticity in that because I'm, I'm still, for me, I'm still the same person. I'm still going to continue to be um, the same person regardless of where my art takes me. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's very hard. And especially in the social media age, so there is a lot of pressure to be something to people, to be someone to to people. And it's so funny. I think it was last week that I had the thought. And when I was just like journaling about it, I felt something drop in my spirit. And it was um, about identity. And the words I heard were, identity is who you are when you are not trying to be someone or something to everyone and everything. All this is good. Yeah. And so this is, I feel like what is going to begin to define how I navigate this space of visibility. I'm not trying to be someone or something to everyone and everything. I am who I am. I'm who God made me to be. And it's about how I can channel that person into the different things that I do. Um, and rather than working the the other way around by trying to cater to um, an audience and do what other people want me to do is actually allowing for who God has created me to be to you know fit around what it is that I'm doing and you know so like you said what I do is very niche and it means that um, or it has meant that it hasn't necessarily brought in a lot of traction over the years. And I've been, I've been doing landscapes. I've been painting mm-hmm. professionally for about six years now. You're going um, fast, Rihanna. You're going fast. You're talking about when you started, when I'm about to get there. <laughs> but I have one question that you said. What do you think, yeah, that there's this level of, like, such a gap between the consumer and the person who creates the art? Do you think that it's because of the lack of transparency in people who are, like, creatives? Because a lot of them are actually um, very introverted. A lot of people who actually share are actually very introverted. Or do you think that it more has to do with the fact that, you know, art for such a long time has been seen as 
you know, the elite, like only people who are, have money that can enjoy it. Why do you think that is, like the gap and stuff? Um, it's a co- it's a combination of of both of what you've described. So just like you said, there is like an elitism that comes with um, art as a craft, and so it's a very like gated um, industry in one sense. So you know, only people of a certain caliber can buy art can um up until one point only certain people could view art like now we have museums we have galleries that are open spaces for for anyone to visit but that wasn't always um a thing I was actually having a a conversation with someone recently about like the history and the history of like museums and museum culture because people talk about galleries being a white space and I said yeah that's because they were created to be so you know back in mm-hmm. colonial times the first ever museum was when um explorers used to go to countries and they would find all these objects and they would come and display them in their homes mm-hmm. and so the rich will come and see they were like tokens and they'll put them in these shelves and people would come and view them. And it's kind of like, oh, you traveled to this exotic place and you found this exotic sculpture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was how museums began. So right. museums right. began in the homes of rich mm-hmm. explorers. So it's right. designed to keep poor people out. That's right. how it was created. Um, yeah, so now we live in a time where the world has started to open up. You know, we also live in a digital age. So everything is a lot more accessible regardless of your background so I think there is there is a bridging of the gap already happening I guess with things like social media and so this means that you know the art world is changing so even the idea of having a space is not um is changing people don't have to go to a physical space to view art so I think yeah there is that aspect of it being a sort of gated industry there's also the aspect of um, I guess artists being introverts. I feel like that shouldn't determine mm. people's accessibility to mm. art. I don't. I don't feel like artists should have to open their lives up to people for people to be able to connect with their art. So I understand the place that it comes from. Um, in you know, in humans wanting to connect and wanting to to um, engage with content that's like relatable um, but at the same time I don't feel like that should should be necessary what yeah that I don't think it's it's necessary for people to be able to enjoy art what I noticed is it also presents a problem for the artists where you have people who are a lot more introverted and so they struggle to sort of push what they do because they don't really like, because they're introverted, social media is not something that they use very often or even really know how to use. And because we live in the digital age, it means that their craft suffers. Yeah. And I don't feel like that should happen. I don't feel like an artist's craft has to suffer because they don't know how to use social media. So I read a bit, I did a bit of research on, um, you know, who's Oriana, so obviously. <laughs> I can't really 
get to know you through what I saw on the internet. Um, yeah. But I did read that you grew up in a very, like, your your dad is, like, a cake decorator. Your mom was a, is a script writer. And it's, like, in my head, I'm like, mate, your parents sound very cool. It's a very relaxed atmosphere. Is it wrong or is it just a conception that I have? <laughs> I mean, it's not wrong. So, yes, I did grow up around creativity and had uh, or have creative parents and what what that did mean for me is that um I had freedom to explore what it was that I wanted to do so one thing you never had that need to be a banker a lawyer or a doctor like no we didn't have that pressure in my household so my parents have always been um so both my parents have four children there's four of us um from my parents and there's never really been any pressure on any of us to to do but go down a particular professional route so we all have our different interests the only thing was that we all did so they were like regardless of what you want to do make sure that you go to school to do it you know how did that influence the way you see life and the way you see art in general I think I was exposed to a lot of art when I was younger okay so that's that's one thing especially with with my mom so we watch a lot of film, and we, you know, we watch a lot, lot of musicals. We watch, we watch a lot of foreign films. So, like, my wow. mom is a big, my mom is a big fan of Bollywood. So we used to watch Bollywood movies really? all the time. Yes, in Nigerian family, watching Bollywood movies. <laughs> Never heard of this before, you know. Yeah, that one movie that came out on Netflix received a lot of backlash from Nigerians saying, "What was that movie?" Now, Master or Hala something. Yeah, I haven't. I didn't see it. I'm. I just. I tried to watch it, but I got bored after a little bit. But it's. It's not for me. It doesn't taint Bollywood. Bollywood has always been solid for me. I love it. You know. So yeah, we used to watch Bollywood movies when we were younger. My parents used to. You know, people always joke about how I'm such an old soul. Even my parents, they're just like, oh, wow, you know, you're such an old soul. You always listen to this music. And I'm always looking at them and laughing. I'm like, that's the music you used to play when I was younger. What music do you think I'm going to listen to? What music is that? What's that? A lot of, like, soul and R&B from the 80s and the 90s. That's that. I feel like that's still the kind of music that I like and that I connect with. So even a lot of more modern music, I prefer music that sounds like that. Um, so, you know, I grew up around, you know, that was the environment that I grew up around in terms of sort of creativity mm-hmm. and um, art. You know, we, we went to watch plays when we could watch. Wow. I rarely hear, I mean, I don't want to like stereotype, but it's like, uh, I don't really hear like African parents bringing their children to plays and taking their children. Yeah, no, my parents, my parents are very conscious of of that you know they even my mom says that when we were younger they used to get us to choose for for our birthday whether we wanted a birthday party or whether we wanted to travel and that we always used to choose um traveling so we used to travel like every other year because that's what they could afford at the time but they said that we always chose to travel and I feel like what that meant was that we were exposed to a lot more Mm-hmm. um in terms of like culture and like what we consumed because we were traveling a lot we were going so when we were traveling we were going to see different things we were going to different places mm-hmm. um yeah so that's that's how I grew up so I was 
I was very, you know, we used to, we had a reading culture at home as well. Like my parents would buy us books and we would read and read, we would read about different things. We would read more sort, sort of African literature. We would read all the, I used to read a lot of Jacqueline Wilson when I was younger. And so all of these different things, I feel like shaped what I do. And then there's also the the part that like what my parents did professionally. Mm. Um, a lot of it happened at home. So my parents kind of mostly worked from home. Okay. So my dad's my dad's cake business was running from our house for about a decade. And so he was doing cakes from there for yeah, about 10 years. And then the the front part of the house, which was I guess it was like the study, the office. So people would come and order cakes from there. Like I watched my dad go from, you know, doing cakes here in the UK and working for Harrods, mm-hmm. doing that for a little bit to deciding to go back to Nigeria to start his own business from scratch mm-hmm. and actually starting it from scratch Amazing. to growing it into a natural cake decorating business. I feel like you were, you were exposed to three important things as a child. You got exposed to the fact yeah. that... Yeah, I feel like you were exposed to three different things as a child. One, that you had the freedom of choice. I can decide to whether I want to stay here for my birthday or travel. Oh, I have choice. My voice matters. You were exposed to the fact that you're as it, like a creative business that can actually bring money and I can actually succeed doing what I love. So it's like your mind already was open to the possibilities of what you can do as well, I think. Yeah, base, yeah basically that. So yeah. I guess being exposed to that just meant that when when the time came for me mm-hmm. to decide what it was I wanted to do career-wise professionally I didn't have an issue and you know even with that like my parents were also quite supportive as well so being a painter was not the first thing that I decided that I wanted to do I've gone through many phases yeah I wanted like, to ask you actually you started university you thought you know I want to do fashion right Is yeah it? and then yeah. after a year or so you thought you know what it's not for me so what is it about fashion or that course at the time that was not fulfilling you that you were like, there's something more? How was the feeling like? I think, so you, I know you mentioned earlier about uh, a good thing me having was a lot of choice. Yeah. I feel like that was a bit of a blessing and a curse at the same time. So because of so much choice of what I could do and because I was actually also so I feel like I'm a creative through and through so I'm quite skilled in a lot of things creatively so like painting is is the is the one that I I've chosen to put at the forefront Mm -hmm. but I'm someone who I have loads of creative interests yeah also if I find something that I really like Mm. all I have to do is sit down on YouTube for a few weeks and I can master the skill like I can master a skill quite quickly So what this meant was when it was time to choose a career path, I faced a lot of difficulty deciding what that was going to be. And then when I finally decided that I was going to go down the visual arts route, there was also the the issue of what specifically that I was going to go and do if I did go and do something art related. So so there was a I feel like at the time there was a bit of speculation about me doing fine art but I just felt like what would I if I did fine art as a degree like what would I do and that I mean it's just like a lot of students as well like what am I supposed to do that's going to help me in the long run sort of thing so even in that gap year that I worked I was interning um, with a fashion designer because there was still a part of me that was still trying to decide and Mm -hmm. figure out fashion was um 
still something that I wanted to do or whether I wanted to give it up completely. Reflecting on it now, I probably will still go back into fashion at some point. It's something that did really interest me. So how did you You come across what you would do then for your second course? I think in my gap year, I got commissioned by a friend's mum to do some paintings for her. So like I said, because I had a lot of creative interest and I think this is one thing that I always like recommend to people who have creative interest I say no matter what it is that you decide that you want to do or that you are doing always take time to invest in all your other creative interests make time to do all of them because you never know when your mind is going to change you never know what is going to bring in the income Um, so having exercising those all of those skills is important Mm. so because whilst I was doing fashion design I was still painting as a hobby so in my spare time I still used to do art and I used to do a a, you know little projects for friends um, that were more painting based so you know a friend would just commission me here Mm -hmm. um do this that I had a kind of archive of artwork that I had been doing right and so in my gap here my friend's mom actually commissioned that was my first like proper um commission I think she commissioned about five or so these large-scale paintings so she sent me images and references that she wanted me to work from um and so I started working on that and so when it was time to reapply to university again, I had actually reapplied for fashion illustration because I said to you, you know, I didn't, I knew that I didn't want to do fashion design anymore. So I did my application for fashion illustration, and I didn't get in to any of my universities to do fashion illustration. I think this was another thing that God was using to say, this is this is not the thing for you. I don't know why you want to be stubborn. That, that's one problem that I have. I'm pretty... <laughs> God speaks to me a lot. I mean, I hear what he says, but I don't always listen. <laughs> so I feel like this was another thing that was kind of flagging up that this was not the right thing for me. So I didn't get into any of my universities to do fashion illustration. And so it was then time for clearing. And um, I remember on the day of clearing, I was in a friend's house. And she must have said to me, she was like, Oriana, you're really good at painting. Why don't you apply to do fine art? I was like, oh, you know, I, I was just like, oh, I, like, I've never really thought about it as a degree, mm. <laughs> as a profession. Um, I think, and I think I had that complex for a long time, even though my parents didn't put any pressure on me. I think there's just a general pressure that comes from doing something creative. Mm-hmm. I think that I did have that complex of like looking at art and seeing it and thinking like, what would I do with this professionally? Like I, so I still, I internalized that um, for myself. So I called up, the first university I called up was London Metropolitan, which was the university I ended up going to. I called them up. I said, do you do um, uh, fine art as a course? I'm applying through clearing. They were like, yes, we do. Um, they asked me if I had a kind of portfolio I think at the time I just had like my Instagram where I had been posting and so I sent it to them and literally within five minutes on the same phone call they were just like okay we like your work you've got a place and that was how I got into my fine art degree it literally I'd been 
spending I spent two years trying to pursue fashion and in 10 minutes I got onto a fine art degree um and for me at that moment that was the confirmation that I needed that this was what I was supposed to be doing yeah and that experience has been a constant reminder for me throughout my journey as as an artist that sometimes we get what we're supposed to be doing wrong and we invest all of this time and all of this effort into this wrong thing Mm -hmm. because we have to work hard um we think that you know even if we're doing something there's hard work involved there's that confusion that is still something that we're supposed to be doing but I do think that when you're in the right thing so whether it be a career whether it be a relationship there is a level of ease that you will experience that is unlike when when you're not in when you're not doing the right thing it it will be hard work so I'm not saying that what I do as an artist isn't challenging and it isn't hard work but I know that I'm able to do it with a level of ease because it's the right thing for me, because it's my gift, because it's my skill, and because it's where God wants me to be. Mm-hmm. And so that that was the first revelation, if you know, you call it, that I got of that was wow. So it took me ten minutes to get into degree to do this, and so I did that, and I finished. I finished the year before we went into lockdown. So I got first class in my fine art degree after years of back and forth of deciding what I wanted to do. So I think it's great that you say that because I think it's one thing to know what you're supposed to do and to enjoy it because I'm sure you have so much enjoyment and enjoyment doing this. Yeah. Another thing to find out and trying to figure out how does my purpose fit into this? You know, it's one thing, you know, you, 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 you write, right? You're a poem you you, you're a poet and you're a poem you're a poet you write you performed before um but how was that transition or that journey of figuring out you know what yeah art is much more than just doing what I'm doing but there's healing in art there's I want to share that the way that I see art I want to share with other people there's you know I Mm. like words and I like poem but now I want to write a book to empower people as well so how did that transition happen of you know knowing what you do knowing what you like to do but then sharing it and figuring out your purpose of the of healing and stuff through it so it was in my first year so I'm I'm a big planner like I like to plan ahead so I will have like a two-year plan, five-year plan, a 10-year plan, you know, and I will vision board everything. I will make lists and write. um, So I've always kind of been like that. So at different stages, I've always known what I would want to kind of do for the future. Even if it changes, Mm -hmm. there's a kind of laid out plan there. Mm -hmm. In terms of coming to that healing, that understanding, that sort of healing through creativity was something that I was, I was going to, or was, is my purpose, essentially. I think I was in my Funny first you share how you see art. I didn't ask you, how do you see art? Yeah. So how do you see art? Yeah, I mean, for me, that is the core of my understanding of art is that it is, it is healing. It is, mm. it has the ability to, to heal people, whether they're, engaging with it as like a practice mm-hmm. or whether they they're engaging with it as a consumer or 
you know, so whether they're viewing or listening mm-hmm. um, to it. I think I've always seen art that way. I think art has always been healing for me on a personal level. So when I think back on times that have been painful experiences that I've had, mm-hmm. art was always a thing that I I fell back on apart from my faith. I would always go to writing poetry mm-hmm. or painting as a way to kind of channel those emotions and um, navigate them for myself. And so art was the thing that that really helped me process. It's interesting. I think when I first started doing it, I didn't ever think that it would be anything that I would share with the world. Right. I remember writing like poetry when I was like 12 and just writing poetry because that was what helped me like process when I was feeling very emotional. I think the first time I started a blog, it was during Tumblr days. I was about 16. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I started sharing my my poetry like online. Right. Um, and then even when I was doing that, I didn't ever think that I'd be performing it. I didn't start mm-hmm. performing until I was about 19. Different steps. And that was more so some like some encouragement from someone who was just like, you know, your poetry would sound really good read out loud. Because mm-hmm. I've always considered myself more of a writer than a performer. So performing was never ever like on my radar and so yeah it happened in that happened in stages for me more so on the on the poetry front but on the kind of healing front and that being because I feel like healing is the core of everything I do so whether I'm writing poetry whether I'm painting whether I'm teaching classes to people running workshops the core of of all of those different things or whether I'm working at schools with special needs children, the core of everything I do is that people experience like emotional healing through the things that I'm delivering to them or the things that I'm creating. And yeah, so it was in my first year of uni. So I started, you know, you just do a Google search. What Mm -hmm. kind of professions can you do (laughs) with, with an arts degree? All these different lists came up. And so this was the first time, this was in 2016. So this was the first time I encountered the word and the profession art therapy. So at this time, I already knew that I was interested in in art as healing. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it could become as a profession, but I just knew that I, I knew that I wanted to use my art and I wanted to be a part of art being used to heal people right 2016 was the first time you know I encountered the word art therapy after doing some research about what I wanted to do professionally and so I was like hmm art therapy is like okay so at at that time I knew what therapy was that sounds interesting so it piqued my interest and I started to do like a whole spread I ordered books I started watching YouTube videos I started reading about it and essentially learned that this was the profession that tied my interest together. Mm. It was about, it's essentially about using art as a form of medicine um, in the sort of, yeah, psychology um, and and mental health uh, uh, industry. So I was like, yeah, it it was, you know, light bulb moment. I'm like, yeah, this this is what I want to do. (laughs) 
this is exactly what I want to do. In fact, this profession was is actually made for me. This was designed mm-hmm. for me. And so that was the moment that I decided that that was what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, having that just meant that it was easier to just continue to navigate everything else that I was doing right. because I knew that there was now a profession out there that meant that I could do that. To do that as a profession, I have to go and do my master's. Right which I have not done yet. So I finished my BA in 2019. Mm-hmm. I've been working since then, more so on the building my art career, just as an artist, as a professional artist. And if I can jump um, in, you even have an organization, Medina School, right? And I actually researched the, the, what it means because I was interested. What is Medina? That's interesting. It actually means healing in Latin. Yes, the, the kind of the core of what I do at the Medina School is what I've just described is basically yeah. art as healing so the goal is to help people improve their emotional and mental well-being right through art classes and workshops so it's a kind of combination of using art and sort of well-being techniques to help people navigate um, negative experiences emotions and just create a space for people to um, have fun and express and de-stress um, creatively using, using art. It's so amazing and that you get yeah, to so do that, it before your master's in art therapy. You're already doing it. Yeah, basically. Um, essentially, yes. Yeah. So that all of all of that is has all been very intentional, has all been very mm-hmm. conscious, like even naming it the Medina School. It wasn't named that before. When I first created it, it was targeted only towards women and it had um uh it's called jewels of jael um so i've even got that even that has gone through a transition mm-hmm. um based on kind of rediscovering myself and rediscovering my interests and what it is it helps your purpose as well isn't it yes and it, yeah what it is at the core that i'm doing so you know naming it the medela school knowing that medela's latin for healing or cure is it's all been very um intentional and, you know, so the goal is that this will develop into uh, a space, um, even if, if, by God's grace, a physical space yeah. that people can come to. Whenever people and come to my podcast and say they want to do something, it works. It works. It happens. Amen. It happens. It happens. Yeah, amen. Um, even a physical space that people will come to. So, you know, I want to mm-hmm. own my own school. How well-being like? so you know I, I genuinely think that you know when someone says when, when people always say oh this year is going to be your year and you're always just kind of like oh yeah whatever uh, <laughs> yeah I genuinely believe that this this year 2021 <laughs> is is my year you know in regards to the Medina school things have picked mm-hmm. up quite a lot so the feedback has been immense more recently wow. than it was because I started it in 2017 wow. so it's it's four years old now and in in four years where I would have probably count how many weeks that I've run across the four years that I've run the workshops in the last three months I've, I'm coming up to running the same amount of workshops that I've run across those years so it's it's really picked up and I think that there is a for me I'm I'm very when it comes to just things in life I'm very resilient so if I know that it's something that I want to do even when it's like even when it's something that's not right for me so obviously we talked about 
the fashion design earlier on. I'm so resilient that even when something is not right for me, I will still push <laughs> to do it and invest. And ex- like, I'm someone who will always invest in something until it is very, very clear that it's no longer going to work. I will exhaust every resource and every um, opportunity until it's flat, it flat out says, okay, this is no longer working. So I feel like that's the approach I've had. It can be bad in that sometimes mm. I know that something needs to be let go of and I refuse to let go of it. Yeah. But it's also it's also a good trait to have because it means that with the things that I am supposed to hold on to and continue to do, I can invest in it no matter how difficult it becomes. Mm. So there have been moments when with the Medina school, I've I've wanted to just quit, stop, give up and just um, yeah, because I, you know. Even even now, even now, there's still moment, you know, the last workshop, the workshop before the last one that I did recently, didn't sell any tickets. Like I've had I've had moments where things are not working and I'm like, okay, does this mean that I'm not supposed to do this? Because it's it's really not working. Like I'm like, okay, I've been God has told me that this is something I'm supposed to do. So why is it not working kind of thing? You know, so when I've hosted events and people haven't come to them, people haven't bought tickets and I'm promoting everything that I'm doing, I'm marketing everything that I'm doing and it's just not gaining any traction. I'm just like, maybe it's not supposed to be. Right. But then I know that it is. And so, you know, sometimes it can be difficult where I'm faced with that and it feels like, I don't want to do this thing um, yeah. anymore. So yes, there's still some things that aren't working, um, but there are things that are working yeah. and I'm choosing to to maximise those things that are working. But well, that's you the know, thing, people- isn't it? Because sometimes when you start something, even if it's your purpose, it might not work out. I think that oftentimes yeah. the things that you're not meant to do are the ones that work out. But then when it has purpose, sometimes it takes a while and you have to build the ground, but eventually you'll pick up. So before we end, so I just want to share something uh, that I watched, um, was it two, three, five months ago? It was basically a replay of like um, a talk show uh, from like years back. So basically on that show, the host was inviting different people like that have like great artistic skills, have great natural abilities. So there was like an inventor, an inventor who like manufactures things with his hand. There was a boy who was like really, really cool. He had autism and he was really great at drawing things like with very like impeccable detail. It was really amazing. Mm. There was also like a boy, uh, another man, another, yeah, another child who like had really great IQ and high IQ and stuff. There was basically talking about people who are like geniuses, like as in G-E-N-I-E-S, right? And so they were just basically talking about this and, you know, one of the experts that came on the show, who was like an expert at looking at like past, you know, people in the past who had, like who were considered geniuses and stuff. And basically the discussion was about, he was basically saying that 
a person is not a genius until what they've done or what they've created has improved society in some way or whether they've actually set a new path or they've actually done something that benefits society no matter how great their work is if they haven't uh, improved anything they're not but he was also saying that interestingly a lot of people who we now consider great such as Vincent van Gogh the painter were not actually appreciated and commercially successful when they were alive so he was also yeah. talking about the fact that you might actually have geniuses around us but we don't appreciate them until they die so first of all what do you think of the word genius do you think it's a good word or we should just like get rid of it um I don't like the word personally, but yeah, I do. Yeah. I was actually talking about something like this, but I was in more in line with race and about how I don't like the concept of black excellence, for example. Okay. Like this idea that um, black people have to be excellent at something for them to be viewed. So I don't think that excellence or genius should determine a person's worth or value. I think we were all. But I think, first of all, we're all human beings. And so we will all experience success and failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think that we were all created to do different things and what those different things look like and how they will translate to impacting the world around us will be different. And so it, they should not be pitched against each other. In mm-hmm. um, so it, what I'm trying to say is that, <clears throat> for example, a stay-at-home mom's impact is on her children's lives. Yeah. And so just because someone has chosen the path of a, a stay-at-home mom and wife and has chosen to, to impact her family, her immediate family, it does not um, she mean she's any l- less valuable than a woman who's the CEO of a company. Yeah. So... I, yeah, I would say that to an extent. I don't. I don't believe in in geniuses as as it were. Oh, I don't. I not that I don't believe there are geniuses, mm-hmm. but I guess I don't believe that that should be how we. I don't believe that there should be a kind of hierarchy. Yeah, I, I don't as well. But I think there's also a lot of pressure. I think when you're a human being that everything that you do have to be meaningful. And you know how that expert, quote unquote, said that unless what you do actually has impacted society, then what you're doing, you're not a genius or whatever. But then I think meaning is very, is it relative or subjective? It depends yeah. on how you see meaning. Because I think beauty, I have so many things in my mind, because like, when I was listening to this, I was like, isn't beauty enough? Why do I always have... It's funny that you say that, isn't beauty enough? Because yeah. at my church, we're doing a, the church is doing a series on being a, an apostolic church and what it looks like to be an apostle. So mm-hmm. essentially being a sent one. So not necessarily holding the office of apostle, but what it looks like for every individual Christian. Mm-hmm. Jesus was an apostle, so were apostles. Apostle essentially just means sent one, meaning that you are sent to bring glory to God in whatever sphere of influence that you have mm-hmm. so this idea of just like so so funny last so the last week's service was on, on understanding your significance in the kingdom of God like how how big or how significant you are and so yeah the pastor preached on this idea of just like you know 
the comparison that comes with that, you know, just because you're, you're, you got five likes and your friend got hundred on Instagram and mm -hmm. because your friend has a ministry that is impacting millions of people and you're only leading a small group that is impacting three people, you know, this idea of trying to draw our minds to what we consider significant. Um, and so they've been doing a daily blog and this past week there was one on the apostolic and like different areas of of the world and of society so there's been the apostolic and reformation and so there was the apostolic and the renaissance which talked about creativity and in that particular blog post the the writer talked about beauty and talked about beauty being the expression of creativity that beauty is simply the expression of creativity so when when you brought it up just now, it took my mind back to that blog post. And essentially that that is what it is. Beauty is, is what shows God as creator. And so if we are a, a reflection of him, then beauty is enough. Yeah. There doesn't have to be some, you know, like there needs to be a message. Exactly. I have experienced that pressure. Yeah. Would um, you think that you have experienced that pressure before and now you're over it? Like you understand that your art, even landscape is enough? Or yes. I think I experienced the pressure more from the angle of being a Black artist. So I think that as a Black artist, you get sort of pegged to have to have a message that is social political. Mm, yeah. And so that that was the, the conflict that I went through as an artist um, developing. Well, you didn't want like, to do that, right? That was not what you really wanted to do at that no, time. No, really. I, so I, I, I am passionate about, about race, um, yeah. race relations, race issues, but I don't think that necessarily has anything to do with my art yeah I think that 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 is a separate issue that I have an um, interest that I have mm. completely outside of what I do as an artist more so as a painter yeah. so it comes up a bit in my in my poetry yeah. and I feel I feel more um at ease mm-hmm. expressing that through my writing but I don't feel like it's something I'm necessarily supposed to expressed through my artwork right. and I did go through um that phase of feeling like I had to mm. because that is what black artists do black artists yeah. black I artists think a lot of about. artists feel that pressure even especially yeah, right. when it comes to the market I need you know my single like even because of the market yes. it needs to be this way it needs to be that and yeah like even even till today I still have people say to me oh you know when I when I express my frustrations mm -hmm. about not selling my work um I still have people say to me maybe if you painted insert black prominent figure <laughs> maybe you did a painting of mm. it will you know yeah it will sell but I don't I don't I don't want to. I don't feel like that is the artist that I am. And I don't feel like I should have to compromise yeah. on my content because I want to sell work. I think that, that is that is like my golden rule. Yeah. Um, the good one. As, as a I was even thinking about it today. I woke up this morning thinking about the fact that 
not in like a morbid sense, but just like thinking that if I left Earth today, I'm very proud of everything that I'm doing right now, mm-hmm. everything that I'm creating, everything that I'm a part Real of. authentic, isn't it? Yeah, because I feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. I'm not, there's nothing that I'm doing right now that is a compromise on on anything that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm I'm working towards my masters. I am creating artwork that I'm supposed to be creating. Mm-hmm. I'm writing poetry that I'm supposed to be writing. There's nothing else that I need to be doing right now. And so this this kind of level of thinking is what I like to carry throughout my journey. Right. As as an artist, as a poet, whatever I'm doing, that I I am in the place. I always think about it from the angle of if I died today, and I stood before God, yeah. And God, you know, when they say, you know, when it's said that God will take an account, it's I want to be able to say, I was a faithful servant in that I stewarded the gifts that He gave me correctly, not you know, not for the sake of money, not for the sake of um, validation. Validation is a good one. Yeah. So I don't, I don't ever want to be, I get advice from people. I get people tell me, oh, you should make more of this. You should do more of that. You should do this like that. I don't ever want to be heeding to that if it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. I think think it all goes down to you knowing what your purpose is. Yeah. What what you know what art means to you, and I think when we speak about you know how always try always want to get meanings out of things, and how we say that beauty is enough. I think if if you're doing things based on how you think people will view it, I think that's a problem. I think what's most important is how you connect with what you're doing, because yeah. a lot of people don't understand or don't realize how powerful things are. Yeah, a lot of people don't, yeah, because I'm thinking about a parent who would tell their child not to go into acting, but then that same parent is the one who <laughs> is the one who cried watching The Color Purple and is the one who spent money going to cinemas to watch movies. Um, you know, it all goes down to, you know, what you put value. I think a lot of the times art is not valued because of the perception that we have not knowing that everything that we see is art, the things that we mm-hmm. watch is art, the things that we consume is art. So I think everything in life has meaning, really, you know, and don't do things based on how people are going to view it. That's what I think anyway, because I'm sure you struggled a lot with, you know, art therapy in terms of how people see art, because I've heard testimonies of people who actually need art therapy, thinking their first impression being like, I'm not a child. I don't want to. I don't want to draw. But then they do it, and they're like, "Wow, you know, wow, this is yeah. this is making yeah. me feel good." It's, yeah, it's still like it's still a very, just like you said earlier, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a very niche um, industry. It's yeah. still very yeah in the UK. Um, so even when I was trying to figure out like how I was going to pursue it as a profession, mm-hmm. there's only five universities in the UK that do it as a as a degree course only one of them is in London so it's still very like new yeah. here yeah I think a lot of people don't understand how powerful it is you know I was exactly. watching the show Oriana I was watching the show because I watched like Korean shows with subtitles okay. and I yeah. think one of them visited an art therapy 
um, you know, because I think it was just the theme of the episode. And I think the art therapist asked them, uh, can you draw rain? It's a very simple question, can you draw rain? And so one of, one of the people who drew, drew basically themselves under an umbrella and the rain was pouring outside. Another one drew themselves walking in the rain. And based on those different drawings, the art therapist was able to dissect the emotions behind it in terms of yeah. the reason why you actually drew yourself walking in the rain is because when you're going through stuff, da, 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 da. and I was like, wow, yeah, <laughs> amazing. You never would have thought that. You never would have thought that. I think apart from my interest in it as it being a kind of purpose, I'm also very excited about that because usually when, when people are close-minded to something, there's a whole world that... <clears throat> they aren't tapping into right that begins to open up um and so I, I'm actually very excited to be a part of opening mm -hmm. the world up to experiencing um that yeah all right so Oriana I know that the year 2020 you know was full of testimony with you like you know losing your job getting your job again and through this podcast we're able to see how the journey was in terms of you picking up your skills again and you know, no, like, you know, walking in your purpose. What would you yeah. say was the biggest blessing of the past year for you? And what are you working on? And where, where are you hoping to go from here in terms of like... Um, so I think the biggest, the biggest blessing so far yeah. um, was, was getting my own place. I think it's changed the trajectory of everything mm -hmm. that I'm doing, having my own space. Mm -hmm. It just it has just meant I have more space to work. Mm -hmm. I can work to whatever time I want to work. It's great. I can, yeah. I I have space to think um, <laughs> because yeah. it's quite it's quiet, you know. Because I I moved areas as well, so I've moved out of London, and so it's quiet. I can wake up and I can go for my walks, and it is so. I can't even describe what the experience has been, but it's really been amazing for me. I feel like it was the thing that I needed to really move forward in things that I'm doing. Um, so I would definitely peg it as my biggest blessing. I think if not for having my own space, I couldn't have done all the workshops that I've done since the start of this year. I couldn't have made all these really... I couldn't so have made... In your house in terms of the workshop? Because you've got this... Oh, no, no. no so I've been doing them virtually. But I've been doing them like from yeah from home but you know you know when you are at home with other people the noise you know the noise in the background and everything so it's nice being able to host workshops and not have any distractions interruptions because it's, it's just me in my flat um the the paintings that I've created this year that have done like basically gained me vis visibility yes. I don't think I would have been able to create them if I didn't have because they've been really large-scale paintings so I've needed the space mm. essentially yeah. to make them so that has definitely been my my biggest blessing what am I doing I feel like it's, it's a very exciting time for me I think yeah, if I think anything it's well. thing that I am yeah. hoping for the most now is I just I guess the the investment to yeah. be able to push the things that I'm doing forward yeah. so I think I'm in in a good position in that I have a deep understanding of what it is that I want to do and mm. how even how I want to do it yeah. the only thing that's missing is the resources mm. you know so I, I think my hope is that I get in a position where 
I don't have to rack my brain about mm-hmm. resources that, you know, when I know that, you know, I want to be able to just wake up and just say, oh, I want to host a free workshop mm-hmm. for children. And I'm not thinking about where the money is coming from to do that. Mm-hmm. I can, I know that there's just a money pot and I can dip into it, buy the materials and I can host the workshop. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of like um, pro bono work, um, community work that I've wanted to do with the Medela school for example for a mm-hmm. long long time but it's just been difficult mm-hmm. because you know I'm not rich yet yeah. <laughs> you know so it's hard to to and then it's always hard to get sort of donations for for those sort of things yeah so I think yeah my biggest hope right now is that the investments come and so, so that I can do those things yeah. freely and I think with this podcast we've been able to you know depict and not depict but demystify what they say demystify the myth that art is just for a certain specific group right being able to say that you know and you'll be able to understand where this mindset is from and you know talking about colonialism and you know so hopefully as time goes on people realize that you know art is everywhere and we need to support people who do art because they're people like us and don't let you leave before you promote yourself and I'm going to support you 100%. And when I get my own place, I'm going to get all your paintings in my house. All of them oh. in my place. I'm telling you. So where can people, you know, even your book. When so that's you- on Amazon. I feel like I haven't been promoting that a lot. But yeah, people. When will you, you can buy it? I wrote a book. You wrote I feel like I've been self-published. so published. Self-published. Self-published. Yes, I self-published. Okay. <laughs> and sometimes I have some vision. So when I'm working on one thing, it's really hard to like divide my expertise attention into promoting other things. So I feel like I've been in that seasonal phase where I've just been focused on the art side of things. Yeah. So there's there's the book, there is there is the art. Um I think the best way people get your art. Yeah, the best place to find me is just come to my Instagram because then if you get into my Instagram, then you have the links to okay. everything else. It's beautiful. Um, beautiful. Yeah, it's linked to it's linked to everything else. So if you're on my Instagram, then you find the link to my art shop. You have the link to my my blog where I post my poetry. I recently started a, a podcast, yes. but it's just. Essentially, a space for me to share like audio poetry. What's your podcast? Um, musings, memoirs, and meditation. So yeah, if you just follow me on Instagram, I'm starting a children's art club, and after the t- taster session, parents can decide if they want to enroll their children. So it would be, um, it's going to be a rolling um, art club that will happen for eight weeks at a time. So it will be like an eight-week course and we'll, I'll be teaching the children different landscape art skills. It will be like another um, eight weeks. The website is being website is being worked on. Hopefully by the end of this month, it will be done. Um, and, you know, then there'll be a space for everyone to connect with all the services that we're offering. But um, this month, we're going to start offering one-to-one um, services as well for people who just want to improve their skills as artists um so yeah it's it's growing but yeah you can find me at rihanna ria on my instagram and that should lead you to everything else that 
I am doing amazing. Well, well done for everything that you do. I mean, I know that you're you're still working progress. You know, you're always aiming to go higher and higher, higher. But well done, well done. That's Thank why you. I wanted to have you to just cheer you up and cheer you on, and tell you to Thank keep you. on going. And I know it's not easy, but keep on going. People are seeing you. You know, you're walking your purpose little by little. You get there. You're already there. You're walking and keep up the good work honestly thank you and so hopefully much. after the lockdown we need to meet up thank you so much guys for listening this was journeys with podcast i hope that you enjoyed the conversation with oriana i really did um, i'll see you on my next episode guys Bye.